So UCLA did a study a few years ago where they looked at television characters and what values they felt they portrayed the most. They did about 50 years worth of television and they looked at things like Andy Griffith and Lucy. Then they went to Happy Days. They came to more recent times, shows like American Idol and Hannah Montana. They wanted to see what was the number one value portrayed on TV. And they said from 1967 to 1997, Interesting, the number one value portrayed on television was community. Number two value portrayed on television was to be kind. They moved up to our recent time and they said it's radically changed since 2000. They said the number one value portrayed on TV now is to be famous. And UCLA said, you know, it was surprising, shocking. They said, you know, community has now dropped down to number 11 and be kind is now number 13 on the values that are portrayed. You know, recently, this was right before the pandemic, the UN World Happiness Report, they put out studies to show how happy people are worldwide. They would show some radical changes too about America. And this is again, right before the pandemic. And what they said is, you know, they study happiness and America, the highest happiness was in the 1980s. And they said today, though, we are at the lowest rate of happiness in 50 years. We are now 19th on the worldwide happiness scale. So 18 other countries, even though we are the most prosperous, have more happiness than us. State-wise, they said you know, the happiest state is Hawaii. The least happy is West Virginia. And, and they studied and said, what has changed so much? And they said, well, there's been a continual emphasis on you know, pursuing a higher salary. Money doesn't bring the happiness, but people pursue it. Then they get it. Then they're unhappy when it doesn't fulfill them. They said number two, really in, in the last few years, it's made a difference is social media because people go on social media and, and they get envious of other people. This leads to spending more time online, feeling negative feelings, and then less time even building real relationships with people in your life. Those are two ideas for sure, but we're going to see that the values have changed in our culture and people are unhappy for a different reason though. You know, Tom Brady, he's, many people would say the, the greatest quarterback, others disagree, but he surprised people, whatever your opinion on his, his career a few years ago when he stated this, there are times that I'm not the person I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there must be something greater out there for me. People say, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's got to be more. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. What else is there for me? So we're going to look at uh, the answers to these here. We started last week looking at Psalm 91. We'll look a little bit more at Psalm 91. Again, it's a psalm about God's presence, God's protection, but ultimately, keep in mind the, the way to appropriate faith is always heart and mouth. It's believing with the heart, confessing with the mouth. But let's take a moment and, and look at one of the more important chapters in Scripture about an incredibly important time in world history, 2 Kings chapter 17. You know, 2 Kings is essentially going to be the story after David and Solomon. You know, under David and Solomon, Israel was the most dominant nation on earth. But things change radically in 2 Kings chapter 17. And try to remember this man's name and kind of just remember this always. But his name was Hosea. 
Hosea is the main person in 2 Kings 17, and he is the last king of Israel. Israel is about to cease to exist. You remember there are 12 tribes. They had this civil war. So 10 became Israel in the north, and two became Judah in the south. When Jesus walked through Jerusalem, Israel was long gone, and you're going to see it happen here in 2 Kings 17. And one of the reasons was because of Hosea, his decisions here, the last king of Israel. We're told in 2 Kings that Hosea, he was the commander-in-chief for the king Pekah, and he struck and killed this man. He assassinated him and took his throne. Now, some people were on Hosea's side. They thought that Pekah was bad and had to go. Others said, you know, he's a traitor. And whatever his life was, though, we're told in summary in 2 Kings 17, verse 2, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What happened for Hosea is, you know, David and Solomon, their kingdom is now crumbled because of evil kings like Hosea. Israel no longer is dominant. The country of Assyria is. And Israel pays tribute to Assyria, a treaty. But Hosea decides he doesn't want to pay that tribute anymore. So he thinks, I'll go make a partnership with Egypt. Egypt is not strong anymore either. So Assyria defeats Israel and Egypt. And they put Hosea in prison. And then the king of Assyria... He literally just takes everybody that lived in the land from those tribes and shackles them, takes them out of the land, and he eventually replaces all those people with others from different countries. And again, this is when Israel then would cease to exist. Abraham Cooper, a hundred years ago, said there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry mine. We understand that in our prayers, you know, that everything belongs to Christ. That's why we pray, kingdom come and will be done. That is true in every moment. That's true in what we're looking at in Kings. It's true today. Again, everything is being moved to that place to fulfill that all things be brought under his feet. But like Paul said, we do see not everything under his feet at this time. But that is where all things are going. And we have a choice, again, to, to walk in the promise of Christ or to see what happens here in Second Kings what takes place when somebody rejects that offer. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, which tells us, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. And you'll notice here, all this took place because the Israelites sinned against God and worshipped other gods. In fact, we've all read that statement. It goes throughout the Old Testament where they pursue other gods. But how difficult and how sinful had things become in 2 Kings 17? Read verse 17. It says, And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. There's a long list of sins that they've committed, but it got so bad and so violent, they were committing human sacrifice to worship these other gods. Now, on the other side is the promise of Psalm 91. We'll see in 2 Kings the, the, what happens to those who reject the promise of the gospel versus the life found in Psalm 91. Again, our culture, the unrest that's taking place today, the unhappiness that's taking place today, sure, it's because people have found that money does not provide what they were searching for. Sure, social media has an impact that's shown to be negative, but the ultimate reason people are unhappy is because we can't make this deal like we'll see here in 2 Kings where they said, I want to serve God, 
but keep my old gods. I want to serve God, but keep my sin. I want to serve God, but I also want to serve self. You see, the promises in Psalm 91 and throughout the rest of Scripture that we're told are yes and amen in Christ are for those who say, I seek him alone. I seek to, to find my life crucified in Christ, and he liveth now in me. And so Psalm 91, for those who say yes to his offer, it's our promise, which says, verse 4, his faithfulness is your shield and your rampart. A shield, we know, is a protection. A rampart is a fortified wall, usually around a castle. And it's Christ who is now that shield and that rampart. He is the one who protects us, that stands between us and all other things. That's why we can live without fear. That's why in the chaos, we'll see here, I'll give you some tremendous examples of people living out Psalm 91 in the face of violence and obstacles. We've talked about John Newton because everybody's been impacted by him around the world because he wrote the song Amazing Grace. John Newton was a slave trader. He was also a wicked man. He would say himself, you know, there's not a, a crime I haven't committed Somebody invent a new one, and I will you know, break that law as well. He was an atheist. One day he was on a ship. Familiar story, this happened to other people, where he was on this boat, and a storm started to rage. Suddenly, all that arrogance vanished in a moment. He went to the captain and said, we will never survive this unless God saves us. And the captain looked at him and laughed and said, you, the atheist, the wicked man talking about God, laughable. But John Newton was terrified. He needed some comfort. He knew there was one person on the boat who had a Bible. He said, can I see that Bible? He opened the book just randomly and put his finger on a page and started to read. What he read changed his life. He was looking for words of comfort, what he found was Proverbs 1, verse 23 and following, which says this, If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known. Because you refused my call and no one took my outstretched hand, you wanted none of my correction, therefore I turn and will mock your calamity. And imagine he read this next verse, I will sneer... When terror strikes you, when your dread comes like a storm and destruction like a whirlwind. Now, John Newton knew that was him. He was the one who did not respond to God's offer. He was the one now in the middle of a storm seeing the destruction like a whirlwind. And he knew exactly in that moment. He didn't randomly pick that page. That word was meant for him. And that was the moment he changed his life by surrendering to the grace of God. It's why he very specifically chose when he wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch. He knew the sins that he had committed, the evil he had lived in, the wretchedness of who he was, but now the grace that was found. You notice again, Psalm 91.4, it says, His faithfulness is our shield, not our faithfulness. It's Christ. It's what he's done. It's his completed work. It's his grace. It's his offer of life. It's not that we do anything we just simply say, yes, I need you, Jesus. It's his faithfulness that's our shield and rampart. If you look back at 2 Kings chapter 17, you'll see what happened. The king of Assyria then brings people from other countries to replace the Israelites he's removed. He brought people from places like Babylon and Ava and Hamath. 
But here's what happened to that new group of people. We'll read here starting verse 25. They did not worship the Lord, so he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. So they told the king of Assyria, the people who deported into Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them. The king of Assyria said, then have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go and teach them. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Now we can imagine there was a time period when the Israelites were taken out before the new people were settled in. So wilderness started to expand and the lions started to move in. And now the people then move in sometime later and they're being attacked by these lions and they're frightened. So they tell the king and he says, listen, I don't know. Find one of the priests and let them give you some advice. All they cared about were the lions, not what God really wants. And as Chris Chong says, their real concern is the lions not seeking God. They just want something to get rid of the lions. That is religion. Religion is just that self-seeking that says, you know, God only makes sense as far as he can take care of my problems and just tell me how to get rid of the problems. And if not, then I'll just move on and find another God. And that's religion. It's the self-seeking that says, it's not me wanting to know Christ. It's me just wanting to know how to make life more simple for myself or to gain for myself. But we're told when we seek him, not what he can simply do for us. When we seek him, that's when we truly find life. How did it work out for this group of people that now moved in from these other countries we're told in verse 33, they worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods. This is why Americans are the unhappiest that they have been in 50 years. It's not just pursuing money. It's not social media. It's not the pandemic. It's at the heart of it saying, you know what? I want to believe in God, but I want to keep my own gods. I want to believe in God, but I want to keep my own sins. Great metaphor from a British toy company a few years ago. They came up with this toy, an action figure, and they called it Invisible Jim. And Invisible Jim was this box that was packaged. And on the package, it says the action figure lacks darting eyes. The action figure has no realistic hair. He was not seen on TV. His clothing is sold separately. But Invisible Jim, the, the joke for those who got it, it's just an empty box. And the reality is, though, a great metaphor because how many things do we pursue like Invisible Jim? If I just had that one thing or if I just had that one thing, then I would be happy. But it's all pursuing Invisible Jim. It's an empty box with an empty promise outside of saying, you know what, I put Christ first and I seek him and I know that his faithfulness is my shield. And between me and all the problems, me and all the fears, me and all the destruction, he is that rampart, that fortified wall. Look at the next part of Psalm 91.5. And again, not just reading these as an inspiration or to say, you know, that's something to, to put on a, a greeting card, but to say this is life, but you have to obtain it by saying, I believe it with my heart and I speak it with my mouth. I confess it out loud. And Psalm 91.5 says, you will not fear the terror of night. 
what is the terror of night? It means crime, violent crime. Let me give you a tremendous example of that. This is Alma Reyes from Bacalod, the Philippines. She was riding in an open-air van called a jeepney. And, you know, they hold about, you know, a dozen people and they stop at stops like our buses and people get on and off. And she was on one of these jeepneys, this open air van. And she said a man got on that she sensed in her spirit there was something very wrong. She began to pray. She'd been a believer less than a year, but she knew the promise that you don't fear the terror of night if you're resting in Christ. Suddenly, this man stopped the van. He opened the door and stood outside the van and through the open door shot a man who died. Everybody else began to scream in panic. One man was so frightened he went into a heart attack. But Alma Reyes was calm. She didn't panic at all. She made eye contact with the man and prayed in Jesus' name for protection and that Satan be bound. He saw her staring at him without fear so he immediately pointed the gun at her and he pulled the trigger. But nothing happened. He looked at the gun, pointed it back at her, pulled on the trigger, but again, he couldn't. Looked at the gun again. A third time, he tried to squeeze the trigger as she stared without fear, and he was unable to. In confusion now, he's staring at the gun, trying to figure out what is taking place. The driver sees this man distracted, hits the gas. They take off. They watch in their rearview mirror and out the window at this man as he's still playing with his gun as the van gets blocks down the road they finally hear the gun go off he was unable to pull that trigger why because christ is that bulwark that shield so we don't fear the terror of night that's why maybe a great prayer to take and to share on a daily basis from angela shum is thank you father i will not be afraid of what another person can do to harm me i am in covenant with you to just pray daily, God, thank you. I'm not afraid of what somebody else can do to me. I'm in covenant with you, and I know I don't fear the terror of night. Your faithfulness is my shield. Psalm 91.5 then says this, You'll not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Now, my wife and I have taken up archery this summer, and I can tell you, when you are shooting an arrow, you have to have focus and intent. Aim very clearly at a target. That's what's being painted here. Arrows are not random. They are intentionally aimed with focus at a target, and that arrow comes from the enemy. But we don't fear the arrow that flies by day. An arrow is an assignment from the enemy, something that is aimed at your life and my life, but in our place and position in Christ, he has no authority. We just say, get behind me, Satan, and speak out the promises. I don't fear the arrow that flies by day and bind his work and loose the promises of God with the words that we speak and the faith that gives us boldness in our heart. You know, Paul Jones shared a, a tremendous just life change that happened for him. He grew up with, with a mother who smothered him. She didn't know really how to give love in a healthy way, but she knew how to cook. So she'd make cookies and cake. His father was mostly absent until one day he got in a car and drove away to work and simply never came back. Well, this made Paul Jones' mother smother him even more. And she just did what she always did. She made cookies and she made cake. And as a young man, he started to get very large. 
as he got larger, you know, kids at school began to make fun of him. So he'd go home and say, Mom, I'm being bullied. And she'd say, you know what? I'll make you feel better. I'll make you some brownies. So more food, more smothering, and more hugs until finally he got to high school and realized this toxic relationship that he had. He was bitter at his mom. He finally, when he graduated, he moved away, got engaged, gave his life to Christ, but he didn't know how to really give love. Soon things ended in divorce. But he remembered what he was taught. He knew where to find comfort. It wasn't for him in prayer and worship. He went back to old patterns. He started to make cake and cookies and brownies. Eventually, he'd get married again, but he kept going with this pattern until he reached almost 500 pounds. At this point, this old habit had long since become toxic. But now he's at 500 pounds almost. He's on 10 medications a day. Starts having heart trouble. And that becomes his wake-up call that, listen, if I don't change, I'm going to die. And Paul Jones said, I prayed, God, I don't know what to do anymore. I quit. Let me read to you what he said happened next. In my spirit, I heard God say, I have been waiting so long to hear those words from you. Stop trying so hard. Stop planning. Let me be your guide. Let me lay it all out for you. All you have to do is let go. And maybe you're here today and at the same place and you're saying, you know what, I quit. And God's saying, exactly, that's what I want. I've been waiting so long to hear you say those words. Because when we get to that place and when we quit and say, I can't do anything on my own without you, that's when our weakness becomes our strength in Christ. Paul Jones, he started to walk. He especially enjoyed walking in the rain. He found tremendous comfort in Matthew 5, 6 when Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. His hunger for food had never brought a filling. It just demanded more. Eventually, he began to run in the rain. Running turned into a marathon. Then it changed his life. Today, Paul Jones is a personal trainer. You don't have to fear the terror of night. You don't have to fear the arrow that flies by day. The way to appropriate faith is the heart and mouth. Believe in the heart, confess with the mouth. Feel that strength inside and know that life that is truly life in Christ, that boldness that comes in him. Speak it, claim it, and live it, and be the example to people panicking in fear and chaos and doubt and say, listen, let me show you the way out of that to a place of perfect peace. I close with Anne Hagel, again, somebody else who knew perfect peace in a time of terror. As she shared, she was biking in Whitting Ranch Wilderness Park, 2004. She was attacked by a mountain lion. She was bitten 10 times into her neck and her face, took 200 stitches and staples, in surgery to to put her back together from the attack but as she shared the line came out grabbed her by the face pulled her off the bike her friend on a bike jumped off grabbed her by the leg as the lion drug her towards the woods they were in this tug of war she'd find out later that lion killed somebody the day before two other bikers pulled up on their bikes jumped off threw things yelled at the lion it finally let go they called 911 
she was taken by helicopter to the hospital where then she was given the staples as she talked about 200 stitches and staples and here's the thing though what she said is that moment she said my first words as soon as that line grabbed onto me were jesus help me you see in that moment she spoke forth faith and said jesus help me because the promise is you don't have to fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day because he is in his faithfulness our shield our rampart 